we've got a lot to cover today. Um, and so we are going to sort of skip along like a, like a, like a rock over water, uh, and do a couple of deep dives in chapter 10 is where we'll spend the better portion of our time. But just so that you know where we're going, we're actually getting towards the end of, uh, of, of Ecclesiastes. Um, this week we're doing chapters 9 and 10. Next week we'll look at chapter 11, and the week after that, chapter 12. Um, now I'll be going on vacation again in mid-November, and so the the final week of Ecclesiastes, November the 15th, there will be no in-person service. I want to get that out there early, um, that November 15th is no in-person service. There is a service in person next th today and next week. And then there's no in-person service, and then, the, and then they'll start again afterwards all the way to Christmas. And so uh, we're actually getting pretty close to, we're getting, we're, we're approaching Advent, which is pretty exciting. Um, and, well, and disorienting at the same time. <laughs> it's, this is a strange, strange year, isn't it? Oh my goodness. Well... Let's just dive straight into the into the passage. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes, as it has often been doing, um, with 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 Solomon trying to tell us about what he sees when he thinks about wisdom, um, and and what he sees life under the sun is. And remember, that's that's him saying that uh, if we only look at life as it is, without thinking about what maybe lies beyond this physical uh this physical realm what is it that he sees what what can life be distinguished by and he said he consistently says well it's distinguished by unfairness and evil and suffering and meaninglessness or vaporness that there's something about the world that's just ungraspable but he also as we get further into this book, he begins to introduce God more and more and saying, well, but you know what? Just what you see isn't the totality of what there is. That there's another realm, there's a spiritual realm, a, hell, a heavenly realm that adds a whole new layer of ultimate meaning over life as we know it. And he's going to do it again here. And this uh, first chapter, chapter 9... The first and the, the larger portion of it is really trying to get us to pay attention not to what's happening directly in front of us all the time, but what will be in front of us at some point in the future. So if you can, if you just look at, at the first verse, uh, the first verse gives the conclusion that Solomon's going to get to. This is something that uh, Hebrew narratives tend to do. They'll give a concluding statement and then describe the the reasons for giving that concluding statement. So what's the concluding statement he gives? So I reflected on all this. That's everything that's happened it, that he's discussed uh, previously. And I've concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, and no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. The wise and the righteous, and everything that they do by their hands, 
Nobody knows whether love or hate awaits them, which is to say that nobody knows quite how to judge what is truly wise, what is truly righteous, what is truly good work, except God. Only God can judge the, the work of our hands and the works of our, of our hearts and our evaluations of ourselves uh, are essentially meaningless as we stand in front of God's throne. Does love await us, or does hate await us, or, or to, to, yeah. The reality is that what he's trying to say is, in your life, the only true perfect judge is God. And if you try to be the judge over yourself, you're going to get it wrong. And if you try to be the judge over other people, you're definitely going to get it wrong. And we should be living our lives with this in the back of mind that, that there is a judge who we are going to have to stand in front of one day and give an account to. And all of our evaluations of ourselves in this life of saying, well, I'm a good enough person. I do enough good things. You know, I'm, I'm, I think of myself as more generous than maybe those other people are. Or this other person, I, I, I give more, I do more good works. Those evaluations are meaningless. They're vapors. When you're standing in front of the one who is truly able to judge. And we're told in, in, in other parts of scripture that that one is, is God, that one is Jesus. Jesus will judge the living and the dead. And so how do we then live with that um, that final uh, place in, in mind that final place of being at the at the at the foot of God's throne and saying you know this is I'm gonna have to be there one day and give an account what kind of an account will we give that Jesus might agree with we can say well I'm just better than better than this and better than that and better than that. Well, Jesus is going to say, well, yeah, but you weren't better than me. And did you trust me? And did you follow me? Did you do what I said? That's what the 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 the, the core issue of our lives is. Is did we know Jesus? Did we trust him and did we follow him? And if we say, well, you know, I trusted you a little bit more than other people. He's going to say, well, I don't care about the other people. Did you trust me in the way that I wanted you to trust me? Or did you wander off every time? Did you not trust me? Be very cautious about your evaluation of yourself. And recognize its meaninglessness, its vaporousness. Especially when it comes to how good or righteous or the, the good works from your hands. Because we are not accurate judges of those things. Only Jesus is. And the rest of this passage goes on to describe this final place. That we all end up at the same place. 
um, at the at the foot of this judgment seat. We all share a common destiny. In verse 2, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. The same destiny overtakes all, verse 3. The same destiny overtakes all. He goes on to actually describe um, that that essentially time and chance happen to us all. That in life, all measure of good things and bad things seem to just happen at random to both the righteous and the wicked. And he's already described this. He's already said, some, you know, there are times when the wicked get what the righteous deserve and there's times when the righteous get the what the wicked deserve. But there's also times where it just seems like randomness is king. He says in verse 11, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And we've all experienced this in life. We've all experienced those maybe financial hardships that just seem random, that some people, some people have hardship and other people don't. But even more so with sickness, I think this really the um, sickness tends to accentuate ex, uh, this randomness. If we were uh, gathered in a room this Sunday morning, we we could say, "How many of us know someone uh, who has had cancer?" And I'm willing to bet everyone in the room would be able to put up their hands. Cancer happens. Not just to those who are righteous, but to those who are wicked. Um, and, and and how do you even make sense of that? Well, Solomon would make sense of it by saying that, you know, time and chance happen to us all. And it's an evil under the sun. That is, it's a, it's a mark of sin and sin's infection in humanity. And this is even more accentuated in, in COVID, that in this era of a of a viral infection. Who gets COVID? Well, seems to just be random. The wicked get it, the righteous get it. Time and chance happens to us all. And so what does Solomon say in light of that? He says in verse 7, Go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God is already approved what you do always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil now this is interesting that that's to our ears um we have to be careful because us reading god has already approved what you do in an individualistic culture is it might seem that solomon and scripture is trying to tell us okay you can live an individualistic life but notice the next thing it said. Always be clothed in white. That is, always live righteously. Always live according to the wisdom of God. Which means that you don't get to live an individualistic life. God has given you good gifts, and he, and he gives you the ability to enjoy them. But then don't place those good gifts at the center of your life, that they might... Uh, Move your move your heart away from God rather than closer to God and in deeper 
relationship with Jesus. Always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. But enjoy life. This life that God has given you under the sun. What he's trying to say, I think, or what he's recognizing in this, and he's going to go on to describe it in even more detail, is that wisdom cultivates an enjoyable life. Wisdom cultivates an enjoyable life. If you live a wise life, you will also, you're, you're more likely to also live a joy-filled life. And like we said before, happiness can come and go, and it's, a, it's often just sort of this fleeting thing that happens, a choice. Joy is something different and deeper and can transcend all sorts of other emotional states. And you, you can be joy-filled while still sad. You can be joy-filled in mourning. You can be joy-filled and angry. You could be joy-filled and frustrated. You can be joy-filled and happy. Joy is something much deeper that orients our being in the world. And wisdom cultivates that. Wisdom cultivates that. So what is, what does uh, Solomon say on this? Because he, he goes on to describe this in, in the next section, in verse 13 of chapter 9. He sees this, uh, an example of wisdom that greatly impresses him. And uh, tells a story of a powerful king coming to a, coming to a town and, and essentially besieging it. But this, this, uh, as as Solomon describes it, an old poor man who is extremely wise beats the king and saves the town. And because of this, he says, wisdom is better than strength. But he also laments because nobody ends up remembering that man who saved the city. The poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer heeded. Nobody remembered that poor man. But he concludes in verse 17 and 18, the, the quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of a ruler of fools. Better is wis Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. In other words, it's better to be wise than to be a fool. And to be wise, you have to heed wisdom, heed the wisdom of others. And keep it in mind. Don't despise it. Because despising wisdom will lead to our downfalls. If the people despise the wisdom of that old man long enough, that king's going to come back and destroy them. Wisdom needs to be heated. And sin, that is foolishness, is able to undo the work of wisdom very quickly. We know this intuitively. We, we know intuitively that we could live decades of wisdom, but if we make one mistake, it will feel like our life is over. We make one mistake and all of those decades of wisdom become unraveled. One sinner destroys much good, and so does one sin sometimes. 
And so guard your steps to live a wise life. And it's from that basis then that Solomon is going to start describing, okay, what does that even mean? What does it mean to live a wise life or live a, or, or more specifically for, for this passage, what does it mean to be a foolish? What can we learn from foolish lives? What wisdom can we learn from that by looking at the negative examples that we can then apply to our lives so that we can live wisely in the world so that we, so that we have a weapon that's better, uh, so that we can have wisdom which is better than any weapon of war and so that we don't end up being that sinner who who causes the 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 gains that wisdom brings to unravel before our eyes so what does solomon say he begins in chapter 10 and i i i wonder if any of you noticed this he moves into these proverbial statements, these these short statements of teaching that you see in other books of scripture, like Proverbs, and that we've seen a little bit in uh, in Ecclesiastes. But this is this is the, a much longer um, use of it, and it's going to continue in the in the next couple of chapters. But these statements are trying to tell us about wisdom and foolishness, and I'm going to remind us about what foolishness is in Ecclesiastes. Foolishness is the lack of appropriate fear for God in our lives. Foolishness is lacking an appropriate fear for God in our lives. It is not treating God as holy, not treating God as God. And so keep that in mind. And and as we go through this, I'm going to invite you to think through your own life and maybe there's a place of foolishness that you're, you are living out of, that God wants to correct in you. But the way to correct it is in your attitudes and habits of your heart to, uh, to, to treat God as holy, to appropriately fear him. And if you're not willing to do that, foolishness is just going to build up in your life. And the consequences of foolishness will eventually come to bear. And you may not experience it on this side of the grave, but you'll certainly experience it when you're standing at the foot of God's throne. Foolishness is lacking the appropriate fear of God in our lives. Lacking the appropriate attitude towards who God is because of who God is. So what does Solomon say to us? Well, it starts out with a pretty colorful line, eh? As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Just like we've been saying, or just like I, like I was saying previously, uh, folly, foolishness, is, is like something that taints perfume. It ruins it. If our lives are a fragrant offering to God, our folly can make that offering go from being a, an offering of incense, of, of joy, something that God is pleased with, 
to being something that God despises. And we see this happen actually within the Old Testament in the people, the, the, uh, uh, the people of Israel, they, um, that, that offer different burnt sacrifices and all these things. And God says, I don't want those things that they, they smell disgusting to me. Well, why is it? And it, it's often because they are living foolish lives while doing these sorts of, uh, uh rituals for the sake of doing the ritual. But now we are called as Christians to offer living sacrifices of ourselves daily to Jesus. But our folly is like a bad, is it will just ruin uh, those sacrifices. And so that's, that's really a warning to start out. And there's two other warnings that Solomon gives. The next in verse 2, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, while the heart of the fool to the left. And that's trying, I think that's what, what Solomon's describing is sort of the idea that the right-handed, um, that, that the right hand is the place of honor in the ancient world. And so the, the people with the, the righteous are lean towards the right hand is to say that they lean towards righteousness, that the wise lean towards that which is good and holy and true in the world, but fools go the opposite way. They run away from righteousness. They lean towards, um, towards not, not living in the way that God intends for them to live. Their heart is, 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 it, it, our hearts can either draw us towards God or draw us away from it. Living wisely will always draw us towards God, but foolishness will always draw us away from him. That is often that that can actually be a really helpful tell in our lives. Am I living my life in such a way that I'm being drawn into deeper relationship with Jesus or am I living in such a way that I'm drawn away from relationship with Jesus. And if I'm being drawn away, that's a sign that somewhere in my life is foolishness that needs to be corrected. And Solomon says in verse three, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. Foolishness will always be shown for what it is. Foolishness in our hearts will make its way out into the world, into our work and the work of our hands, the work of our mouths, the work of our minds. It'll work its way out and we'll be shown to be the fools that we always were. But God can save us from ourselves by the indwelling of his spirit and the transformation, the renewal of our minds in Christ Jesus. We can have, um, we can we can be given right hearts to be drawn towards righteousness, so that the living sacrifice of our lives isn't ruined by our sin. Jesus is the is the answer to these warnings, and leaning on Jesus and deepening our relationship with Jesus. But now that Solomon's laid out those warnings, he wants to describe, or he moves to be, to start describing foolishness in 
a couple of different contexts, which I think will teach us some really practical wisdom for today. The first is this context of rulers or, or leaders or uh, politicians, sort of the political realm, starting in verse 4 through verse 6. Um, and verse 4 is just is just good practice. It's just something that you should be doing anyways. If if a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offense to rest. And that's just true. Calmness can lay great offense to rest. If you train yourself to be calm rather than being quick to anger and quick to speak, if you train yourself to be uh, to be slow to anger and slow to speak and quick to listening, it can actually de-escalate all sorts of situations, um, particularly at work with your bosses or, or, or anything that, that maybe can, can lower the temperature of conversations, that can make it easier to figure out what's at issue to work past it. Being quickly angered, Solomon is implying, is foolishness. And it will show itself to be foolish over time. But calmness can lay great offense to rest. Like we, like I, well, I, I think I said this in the in-person gathering, uh, but not on the online uh, sermon, that sometimes we have bosses that are just not good. And no matter how hard we try, we can't get in their good graces, so to speak. But we can still live righteously and righteous lives because at the end of the day, you don't actually answer to your boss. You answer to Jesus. At the end of the day, you have to give an account to Jesus. And so this is, this is sort of what's at the, at the heart of this type of instruction. A ruler's anger might rise against you, but don't leave your post. Don't sin against them. Sin against the promises you've made continue to stay with it and let calmness allow allow calmness to do its work in causing offense to to find a bit of rest to get to to lower the temperatures and in that way you can be seen just as it says in verse 8 to always be clothed in white and having your head anointed with oil, that is, you can show that you are the holy person who has, made, who has been made holy human in Christ. Now Solomon goes on to describe other, um, other situations of, of leadership and fools being placed in positions of power, and that, you know, always goes well. Nope. Putting fools in positions of power often doesn't go well, but it also often happens. And he describes this in verses 6 and 7, 5, 6, and 7. 
which heightens uh, verse 4, doesn't it? And this idea that, you know, you shouldn't be quick to anger. It says there's this evil under the sun. Fools are in many high positions while the rich occupy low ones. Slaves are on horseback while princes go on foot. And 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 he's he's trying to say, you know, there there are. Um, you you shouldn't put people into these places of leadership where maybe they are not equipped to. Um, that that seems to me to be pretty reasonable within the within the context of of the passage of what it's saying. The next context of foolishness that maybe can teach us a bit of wisdom is in the context of work. Um, and 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 at the actual work of our hands. In verses 6 through 9, Solomon describes different foolishness, foolish acts that lead to accidents, that lead to, uh, lead to situations of danger. Digging a pit, but if you, you might fall into it, or if you break through a wall, you might be bitten by a snake. That is, if you're, if you're not being careful with what you're doing, you're going to get injured. And again, whoever quarries stone may be injured by them. And whoever split logs may be endangered by them. That there are these dangers in our workplaces that we need to be cautious of and careful about. Being wise is, uh, is in, in part, knowing your surroundings and knowing the right ways to do things. Um, you, you know the right procedure and when to use those procedures at the right time. Just like we talked about last week. And then in verse 10 and 11... Um, Solomon describes wisdom or skill being used to bring success and foolishness actually leading to a lack of success sometimes. Then uh, this is, and again, this is particularly in the area of, of work. If an axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. That is knowing what you're doing will bring success. Having wisdom in a situation will bring success. If a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fees. This is something that happened in the ancient world. Snake charming still happens in many parts of the world. Um, but he's, he's making a, an economic thing. If you don't have the wisdom and the skill to do things properly, you're not going to get the fee that you deserve to receive. And finally, context number three is uh, in the context of just how we speak. In verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. Fools are consumed by their own lips. How we talk to one another and about one another reveals, um, reveals our foolishness or our wisdom. And even more than that, our speech reveals the state of our hearts because from whatever the abundance of the heart is overflows into our mouths. So if we have a heart that is close to Jesus and Jesus is, is filling us with his living water, that will bubble up out of our mouths and how we speak to one another. 
But if we say, oh yeah, we're really close to Jesus, but we're not actually, we're not receiving his living water, we're not diving into his word, we're not knowing him even more each day, and instead we're allowing sin to build itself up in our hearts, that is going to build up and build up until it comes out of our mouths in our speech. And our speech then becomes sort of a a self-barometer to how we're doing spiritually. Wisdom, this passage says, that uh, again in verse 12, words from the mouth of the wise are gracious. That is, the, the, the words of the wise are given to give to others, not to receive from others. They're gracious. A foolish person's words, it says, will end in madness. Foolishness always starts in just in foolishness, but it always ends in madness. You can think up uh, all sorts of historical examples, I'm sure. But there's that's um. I think I think that just bears itself out that if you just let fools be foolish for a really long time, they move from being silly foolishness. And, and maybe foolish in, in small little ways to being disastrously, monstrously mad, insane, totally um, sold out to the sin in their hearts. But this passage also uh, goes on to say that fools will multiply their words. That is that fools will try to use their words to bury you under all of the, all of the words that they have to, to give, but they never realize that they're, by doing that, they're, they're also burying themselves, that they're going to, at some point, cause an avalanche on themselves that will, that will, that will stand to condemn them. And so what characteristics of foolishness and wisdom, of, of fools and the wise, can we look for in our own lives? What are some other key signs that we can say, okay, I know, I know right now that I am being foolish and how can I move from foolishness to wisdom? Um, Solomon gives us in the final couple of verses of this chapter, three different characteristics of foolishness versus wisdom. In verses 16 and 17, um, Solomon gives these characteristics of, of, of indulgence and temperance or self-control. That is, fools are indulgent. They will start their day by indulging. They'll, they'll indulge during the day and they'll end their day with indulgence. Whereas the wise will have self-control and temperance. They know when, what time um, to, to, to do hard work and what time to enjoy good food and friends. And they know the proper, the proper place and timing for things within life. By the way, self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And so we can actually look at our lives and say, am I living, a, am I living the life of the spirit in how the spirit is, is allowing me to be a person of self-control. And if, if the, if I'm being, if I'm lacking self-control, that's something that I can ask God's spirit to produce in me 
both for for my sake, but even more so for the sake of others, because our indulgence tends to hurt quite a bit of people and break relationships over time. So first characteristics of, of fools and, and the wise, indulgence versus temperance. The next is negligence versus diligence. And it's knowing the place that laughter, wine, and money have in our life. The negligent tend to raise those up at the most important thing. The most important things are in life are, are laughter, wine, and money, and those get get heightened to the, the point where everything else is neglected. And again, it's, it's, it talks about the same type of um, topics that he's been talking about in this passage with, with uh, building, and, and particularly in verse 18, through laziness, the rafters sag, through idle hands, the house leaks. That is, negligence causes major issues. But if you are diligent in your responsibilities and in, 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 in executing your responsibilities, then you know that hard work comes first before laughter, wine, and money and the enjoyment of life. We have to get through that hard work to be able to enjoy the, the fruit of the work. And finally, in verse 20, Solomon describes foolishness as a, a fool as being indiscreet and the wise as being very discreet. Fools are not careful with their criticisms. They criticize openly and to others. And Solomon says, that, you know, birds are going to carry what you're saying away and report it to whoever you're saying it about. This is this. I, I think this is probably where that line, oh, the, a little birdie told me. Well, it's, it's right here in this, in this passage. That's what Solomon is saying. I think that every one of us can, can think of examples of this foolishness, this indiscreetness playing itself out in our lives. When we're talking about, when maybe we were talking about a boss or a friend or a classmate or somebody else. And as we were talking about them, they came in and overheard it. And immediately, for for almost everyone that I know, especially from my own experience, it's immediately, oh, I'm so embarrassed. What was I doing? What was I thinking? And you're hit immediately with the foolishness of what you were doing. Wisdom is saying, oh, I'm, a, I'm ashamed by that, so I need to change my ways. I need to be discreet with criticism and sometimes that just means not giving criticism or if it's offering criticism it's offering it to the person and engaging in conversation so that they can actually change their ways if if uh, if and as necessary but criticizing openly to others and not having the conversation with that person that gets back to them some way and somehow and it will never look good it never is good and it just shows your foolishness and the foolishness of your heart so all sorts of things all sorts of things this passage is teaching us i want to point to a different passage now in matthew chapter 7 
Matthew chapter 7. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And just a couple of verses. Um, Verses 24 and... Well, all the way to 27. Uh, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Jesus sees wisdom and foolishness, not just as wisdom and foolishness, but sees it as categories that can offer us safety or destruction. Like these, this is, he, he, this is important. Living a wise life, Jesus is saying, will ensure that our houses, the houses that we built of our lives, are able to withstand the storms that come. But if we're foolish, our lives will not be able to withstand those storms that come. If we're foolish, our lives will get beaten down and pushed apart and and will be crushed by the waves and the wind as they as they come foolishness he says is like building on sand and he says very specifically you know what is wise is is listening to what i am telling you and putting it into practice he says it right there in verse 24 but if you hear jesus's word and you don't put it into practice and instead you put into practice the shifting thoughts opinions and philosophies of each generation of the zeitgeist of our culture, we could say, that's foolishness and it's built on sand. What's wise is building our life on the rock of ages, is building our life according to, uh, according to Christ and, and his word. To not just, to, to as a starting point, putting into practice the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus is at the center of all of the scriptures of the entire Bible. And so as we read the Bible, it should point us back towards Jesus so that we can know him more and be able to respond to his grace and mercy and compassion with lives that are obedient to him. And as we know his word more, it will actually, scripture says, will make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so I'd like to end with one other passage. And this one we took a look at earlier in the year in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 and 17. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit. 
singing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be very careful how you live. Don't be foolish, but be wise and be filled with God's Spirit. Building our lives on the rock of Christ's teaching means that we need to know Christ's teaching. And we need to know who Jesus is. And not just a little bit. We need to have a deepening relationship with him so that we can hear his voice and do what it says. And so I'm going to invite you for this week in your in your private devotionals, in your personal devotionals, to return to this chapter of Ecclesiastes um, each morning as you as you get ready for the day, you could read it. Um, Bible Gateway has a has a has a uh, the ability to listen to Scripture. You can set it to just read it to you while you um, wash your face or brush your teeth or something. Any way you want to do it doesn't matter. But actually getting your mind filled with God's Word each morning through this passage, and then ask ask God. How do you want me to live wisely today? Help me to be slow to anger. Help me to be calm in the midst of, 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 of conversations. Help me to be more discreet. Help me to be, uh, to have self-control. Help me to be diligent in the work that I have to do. All these messages in the, in this chapter, in these two chapters, really, are things that God wants for us. And if we would just trust in him and be filled with his spirit and would get to know his word, we would be able to live truly wise lives. Lives that are not marked by foolishness, but are marked by a wisdom that could never come from us and could only be given by Jesus. A heavenly wisdom for a heavenly people. So this week, return to that chapter, this chapter, chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes, and ask God to speak to you through it. And I am confident that God is going to meet you powerfully to encourage you and correct you and rebuke you and to transform parts of your life from foolishness to wisdom as as the spirit sees fit let's pray heavenly father i thank you for your word i thank you for the wisdom that it gives wisdom that's not of any humans but is of you and i thank you that you have given us the ability to um, ground our lives on the rock of your teaching this week, Father, I pray that you would be with us as we, um, as we, as we read and study this chapter of Scripture. And I ask that you would encourage us through it, that you would show us the places where we are living wisely, so that we can, um, so that we can thank you for that. But also, we ask that you would correct us and guide us and rebuke us and train us using this passage to be more and more wise in how we live our lives. 
teach us, Father, your teaching and help us to put it into practice so that our lives can be built on the rock of your teaching and not on the sands of our culture that will just leave us vulnerable to the storms of life. Instead, Father, I pray that we would be living sacrifices to you that would be whole, that would be, um, that would, that would sacrifices that are, that are pleasing in your sight, that are a, a perfume of good smell. I pray that we would be people whose hearts are inclined towards righteousness. And I pray that our righteousness would make itself known in how we live. For all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.